There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. All right, we are here for the show everybody has been waiting for since the beginning of this season. <laughs> Trevor Zegras made his NHL debut tonight. And the thing everybody's talking about isn't how he played or how the game went. It's how, how he was not used properly for, for good and bad reasons. I will get into that a lot more because that's, I think that's going to be primary topic for, for really after we break down the game here. But Man, uh, you know, just going into this one, the hype was unbelievable, right? We've been waiting for this. The excitement was something that this team needed and this fan base needed to rally around a debut of a prospect. And we really haven't seen this type of hype, I guess, since Bobby Ryan and I, and really since Paul Correa, right? Like those are only the, the kind of the two moments when we've looked at like a Ducks prospect getting this much hype leading up to their debut. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, around about noon or so, noon o'clock, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, Zegris is going to play today. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> like, I haven't ever felt that way about someone coming in to actually play. I was actually genuinely, you know, thrilled that he was going to step on the ice. And, like, literally, it's like, even if he didn't score, didn't get a point, I just wanted him to play well and the Ducks to hopefully have some energy in there. So, uh, usually... Uh, I haven't, haven't felt that way in a very long time, so <laughs> it was at least something new. 
Yeah, no, I'm the same way, man. I was jacked. Like, it was so exciting. Like, I, I think you guys both hit it right on the head. You know, it's it's been a minute since there's been that kind of positive anticipation going into a game. You know, even at the beginning of the season, I think so many of us were really just kind of like, all right, well, let's see how it goes. Here comes another year of Ducks hockey. Maybe it'll be all right, you know, but this is just raw joy, man. This was just, it was just exciting. So I, I, you know, I was super happy to drive a little too fast to get home and throw the game on. So, yeah, it, it's just one of those moments where you know this is going to be a tough season. It, they're now what six, six, ten, and three, so fairly close to your prediction, Stephen, on the season where you said after twenty games you said they'd be six, ten, and four. So potentially an overtime loss coming in the next game, and, and you nailed it on the head. But these are the moments you wait for. Like I don't know if we'll see. Jamie Dry still get in at all this this season, but if we do, it'll be a similar type moment, right? Like these are these are the types of games you wait for, and and uh, luckily, I guess for Ducks fans, a shortened fifty six game season this year that we don't have to to suffer through this for eighty two. Uh, but let's let's get into kind of how the lineup shaped up, and we'll go through the breakdown here, and then obviously we'll we'll get into the the heavy talk about Trevor Zegras, Dallas Aikens, Bob Murray. And all that. So obviously, as we said, Zegras making his debut playing with Sam Steele and uh, Jack of Silverberg. Max Jones still draws back in, plays with Ryan Getzlaff and Troy Terry. The third line is still remains the most consistent line and the line that stays the same for the Ducks, and that's Cuffin Twilight and Raquel. And surprisingly, David Backus is scratched for Derek Grant to draw back into the familiar fourth line of Delore, Grant, and Rowney. Mahura still in for Hampus Lindholm, who's out injured. Other than that, the defense stays the same. And Danton Heinen is the one who came out of the lineup for Trevor Zegers tonight, which was a bit of a surprising scratch because I don't think he's been necessarily bad this year. But when you look at that lineup, I mean, obviously Zegers drawing in the, I guess you can call it second line, the way the Ducks are, are promoting it is nice to see. And I think, you know, Max Jones, obviously now looking at the way he played in this game, I think he's starting to kind of earn that spot on that top line with uh, Getzlaff and Terry. Yeah, go, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, I, you know, I, I think what we're starting to get an idea of with Max Jones, at least is, you know, he seems to kind of play to the line that they put him on. You know, when he plays lower in the lineup, he really, he four checks, he makes, he plays big body, you know, he tries things every now and then. But when he's playing higher up the lineup with more skilled players, he kind of knows what his job is, which is to get to the front of the net, be big, be a pain in the ass, and, you know, see if he can get those kind of dirty goals like he got tonight on the power play. You know, I think, um, you know, we're seeing that he can be a a solid complementary player, right? I don't think any of us think he's going to be you know, an all-star or anything like that, but he can be a very useful player and his willingness to kind of change the way that he plays, depending on who he plays with, I think is, uh, I think is really cool. And I think it shows a lot of, um, it shows a lot of positivity uh, going forward for the team. Yeah. I mean, knowing his role and uh, the Ducks don't have that many guys and really no one or no one's even been really successful in that role of being that 
net front presence since like maybe Corey Perry was a pain in the ass in front of everybody with a little bit better hands around the net. So, you know, for a long time, it seemed like uh, we weren't quite sure what uh, Max Jones was going to do or how he was going to turn out or what kind of player he was. But I feel like he's got that niche where or the niche where he can be in front of the net, be a pain, take it a cross check, give a cross check and then hopefully, you know, find a, a goal and uh, or, you know, find the puck, try and put it in. And, you know, hopefully some puck luck <laughs> continues with him. But um, I think uh, that kind of complements uh, Getzloff type line because Getzloff can maybe find somebody else open. At least Max Jones is creating a little bit of havoc. So I like him on that line. I kind of liked all the, the the lineup, at least in this game, you know, top to bottom mm-hmm. with maybe some move some guys in and out. I wasn't thrilled with the way Grant played today, but at least to start it, I thought that was a pretty good lineup. You know, you know, they'll never dismantle that fourth line, but when you look at the three guys that, I guess, three key forwards that are out of the lineup, imagine dismantling Deloitte, Grant, Rowney, and having Henry, Heinen, and Milano as another line. Like, just thinking about rolling lines and trying to generate offense. I get why they like that line. I get why they continue to go to that line, but... I think we could all sit here and say Henry, Heinen, and Milano are all better players, and in some cases, significantly better players than that fourth line. And you know, not to say that that Zegers is going to stick up for for the entire year, but if he does, like, you don't really need that type of fourth line, I think, in the modern day NHL of what we have right now. And what's the benefit of scratching a Danton Heinen and when Milano comes back, scratching a Milano or a Jones or a, a Terry? to play these guys and just kind of keep the status quo because clearly the status quo isn't working right now. Like, let's be honest. It's, it's not something the ducks are ever going to do, but if you're trying to generate offense right now, why not just load up your all four of your lines with the best offensive players you have? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I think that Henry, you saying Henrik is interesting because it didn't even occur to me to be honest. <clears throat> Uh, the thing that I had kind of been thinking of was moving Max Jones down to that fourth line and putting Milano up in one of the top three lines. If you're telling me you're running a fourth line out there of Hein and Jones and Bacchus, I think that puts the team in a much better position going forward. It allows a fourth line to play with a little bit of similar size and uh, energy while also giving guys with a little bit more offensive upside some time and some space. Um, You know, I don't think... You know, it's kind of interesting because I think I've said the same thing about Heinen that I said about Jones tonight, which is that they're really good complementary third forwards. But I think um, both of them on a line with David Backus just makes a lot of sense as far as a modern fourth line. You know, I think you're right that the real heavy fourth lines kind of seem to be going the way of the dodo bird. But, you know, they. I think there's just something about either the guy's outside of the game or something like that where um you know they've just for one reason or another they've kind of cemented their place in the lineup so you know at that point then it just becomes about what's the best way to maximize nine spots and i think you know like uh, jay said we're close to it i don't think you know there's a lot of quibbles uh as far as the nine guys above the fourth line that are on the ice I'd like to see Bacchus in there. I still like Nick Deloria in there because every now and again he seems to chip in a goal. And at least there's always an effort. There's there's something going on. He's either hitting something or he's he's trying to create a play. I think him with Bacchus, although 
slow and foot speed if you complement him with maybe a little bit quicker guy and high in or you know somebody else but right now grant hasn't impressed me rowdy is now injured so we'll see where that goes but he hasn't mm-hmm. been all that extremely impressive either so what worked last year on that fourth line is obviously not working this year but if you've got a bacchus or you've got a henrique or you've got someone else you can maybe put on that that fourth line that that adds a little bit more skill but keep that toughness um i do like that as, as a fourth line and i'm not not willing to just say, yeah, just you know, fire the whole thing and get rid of Deloria because I think Deloria serves a really good purpose more so than Grant or Rowney at this point. But yeah, it could I, definitely use some tweaking. Yeah, I find it hard to to believe that Nick Deloria is ever really going to be taken out of this lineup in a significant way. But for Derek Grant, who's been scratched already this season and a, a couple of times here, I don't think it's out of the question to say for the next game, you know, he's out for Bacchus again, considering Bacchus scored in the last game that he played in. And obviously, Rowney going out injured, that didn't look good. And he'll likely be out for for a little bit here. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. So that opens up a spot on that fourth line for whoever wants to play. But let's get into the breakdown here because we have plenty to talk about uh, in the the post-game section of the show. But Trevor Zegers' career got off to uh, a nice start, a plus one on Jakob Silverberg's goal. Didn't really do anything. It was all really Silverberg's work where he ends up batting the puck down, steals it, and fires it through the five hole on Darcy Kemper. Nice to see him get on the board. But it's funny when, when all the hype is around Zegers, Silverberg kind of breaks a goal drought for himself, and all the talk is about how Zegers was a plus one on that play. That's right. Yeah, 100% goals for. They even interviewed uh, Silverberg at the end. It's like, like, hey, nice, good goal. Now, what did you say to Zegers before he came on here? Did What did you tell him? It's like, it's like anything anyone did didn't matter because it was Zegers' show, at least for the first uh, period and definitely that game. But uh, it was a good, a good effort, quick shot, and just, you know, beat Kemper. Uh, um, I, I don't think Arizona was really on their game in that first period. Um if you look at the shot total, but, you know, in that whole area. But at least, you know, you got to see an up-close goal. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I was I was sitting down watching it, and all of a sudden, you know, he just kind of popped it down, poke-checked it forward, and got on it and scored. And I just threw my hands up in the air. I was ecstatic, you know. And it, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways that was kind of, you know, ironically it was kind of one of those things that I looked at as a positive sign for the rest of the game because those are the kind of games that those are the kind of goals that when you can get early in a game that kind of help players calm down and uh kind of find their feet a little bit and with the energy that we saw the team had with Zegers coming into the lineup and you know I think a lot of these guys especially early really wanted to make a good impression you know I think there's been a lot of talk around the team as far as obviously you know nobody at this point is safe um, you know, so I, th- I think that kind of, that kind of messy kind of goal like that and, and that energy was really nice to see, um, you know, having Zegers on the ice for it was a little bit of a bonus, you know, a couple people in the chat are pointing out that he kind of creates space for him. And I, I think that's fair, but I also think just more than anything, just having someone like Silverberg get on the board early when he's going to be spending, you know, his night with Zegers is just a big positive. Yeah, and and a positive for the Ducks. I mean, he's supposed to be one of their kind of premier goal scorers along with Ricard Raquel, and both of them haven't been great this year. Obviously, Raquel's been relatively unlucky, but at some point, it's a combination of both luck and him just not firing on all cylinders at some point, and the same could be said for Silverberg. So it was nice to see him get on the board. Um, 
after that, good pressure from the Raquel line. I thought they looked pretty solid in the first. He got a nice shot off on Kemper that he just got a piece of. Uh, Broussard broke in alone and got a, a went for the old school slap shot on the breakaway <laughs> that uh, that John Gibson got enough of and, and stopped that one. Lindstrom broken in a two on one with Raquel, lost the handle. Would have been nice to see him uh, kind of get a, a, another point on the board here because I thought he's looked good. And then after that, this is where all kind of the craziness ensued. A penalty for Pitlick on delay of game. Yarmolson goes off for tri- a tripping penalty. It's a five on three. Trevor Zegers almost gets his first NHL point off a great pass through a really a tight seam to Ricard Raquel, who doesn't get really all of Zegers' pass. I think he was a bit surprised, honestly, mm-hmm. that he was able to get it to him. Yeah, And, and it's just a kind of off the heel of his stick, uh, flat along the ice, and hits Kemper's pad pretty much more than anything. It is a good save and a good positional save. But if Raquel gets that off the ice and gets a little bit more on that, he has a wide open net to shoot that at. Yeah. And, you know, this okay. is what you want from Zegers, especially on the power play. That's one you got to bury. And again, I, that's where it, you kind of take that luck versus mm-hmm. really not firing on all cylinders argument and apply it to Ricard Raquel. Yeah, and at the same point, I mean, Zegers with those passes, I mean, what's great about it is not only can he can he see those seams that most people can't, he knows at what speed that puck needs to go. So he's got such a feel for when it needs to happen and how quickly or how slowly those passes need to happen, that it tends to surprise people, especially how quickly he's able to just whip a pass through there. And I think that was kind of it. Like, I think, I, I think it went through like everybody. And then all of a sudden Raquel just saw it the last half, you know, how, you know, like six feet before it got to him and it was zipped to him and he tried to just, you know, slam it at him and uh, give Kemper a little bit of credit. Cause he actually got over pretty quickly to, to take that part away. But um, that quickness and that that lack of hesitation um, from Zegers was just so much fun to watch. And uh, you know, if it, if that can happen all the time, like five on five, it won't happen all the time. But if it could on five on five, you start seeing more of that happen. That's what I'm really looking forward to. But that's where you got to see his skill in passing and uh, the the timing and the vision of it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think what that really does is shows his vision. And I think you hit on something that I I hadn't quite clicked for me until right now, Jay, is the idea of, you know, he was very quick to pass it back up to the top. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't just feeding it. He wasn't doing the same thing every, every time he was trying to find um, moments within the flow of the power play to allow him to kind of exploit that elite uh, passing that he has and you know like you said like i definitely think he some of those passes caught guys off surprise because the reality is is there aren't a lot of guys make catches uh passes like that to begin with and as much as gets is is capable of them i do think you know there's been a little bit of a i don't know a kind of a subdued style of play for him on the power play these last couple of years i think you know there definitely is something a little mental to that power play getting a little uh stagnant and so i think you know you bring in someone like zegris who's got another um uh good lord uh who's got another little bit of that offensive upside and that creativity and that excitement to his game and it allows him you know to find some of those passes i mean for me that was the thing that stood out right away is just how fearless he was at whipping those passes some of them hit skates some of them hit sticks some of them went right through everybody but what he did was he, you know, he kept his head up, 
and he was looking for guys. He was trying to catch, you know, that box starting to break down a little bit. And when he thought he had a win, you know, he just went for it. And I think that's such a, a huge thing. Um, and I think that really kind of highlights a lot of the differences between him and the other group of young forwards that we have is, is there's not quite that, that swagger and that fearlessness about their play. They're a little bit more reserved. They understand their limitations a little bit more. Whereas Zegris, they were just like, yeah, it's you on the power play. Just kind of go for it. And he was like, great. And he just went for it. And I, I just think that was great. I think that was a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll get into more of the, the nonsense later. But, like, I just think for a first period, it was a lot of fun to just see him out there just playing. Yeah, it felt it looked like it was in his element, like he was yeah, just absolutely. comfortable where where he was, where they put him. So, yeah, just a, a pure confidence in your abilities, right? Like we've seen this from Trevor Zegers before. I think one of the, the the plays that demonstrates that the best was in the World Junior Championships this year. Uh, on one of his goals, he tried to kind of scoop it high, short side on a netminder. I don't remember what team they were playing. He ends up just missing it gets the rebound behind the net, skates all the way around to the other side of the ice, right where he tried it again, does the same move and scores, right? Like, it's clearly a guy who, if he sees an opening or he knows that he can get the puck where he wants or anything like that, he'll keep trying until he he does it eventually because he knows he has the skill set to do so. Uh, Let's move on to the, the Jones goal here on the power play. A one-timer from Maxim Comtois doesn't really stick to Darcy Kemper, and Max Jones does what he does best. He's in front of the net, digs out the loose puck, and pots it in and gets cross-checked from behind by Oliver ekman Larson, and then decides to, well, I guess Kemper decides to manhandle him a bit. Huge scrum ensues. Ducks get another penalty or another power play out of it and resume the five-on-three, but this is what you want from Max Jones, right? He's, he's not going to score the prettiest goals, but you want a guy, especially a guy this size and, and of his, uh, of his skill set. Cause I think he does have the hands to operate in front of the net. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is the type of goal you like to see Max Jones scoring. <laughs> I don't know, just like Kepper just, he just keeps kind of just, just gliding away from the play. <laughs> I've been there before <laughs> where you just keep going like, no, no, stop moving, stop moving. The puck's behind me. Um, yeah. I, and Kepper, I don't think really kind of lost it because the goal happened. Uh, it's because Ekman Larson was cross-checking Max Jones a whole bunch in front prior to this. And then he ends up getting the goal and gets another little cross-check. And then Max Jones steps up and just starts talking crap on Ekman Larson, who's on the ground. And Kepper, I don't know, he was just there hearing it, didn't like it. And that's where the whole thing was. But the, the best part of that thing was Getzoff coming over and just bowling over Kemper. <laughs> just like dropped him. And all Kemper could do was grab Troy Terry and <laughs> try and argue with him. But that was good, Max Jones. That's, that's what he's got to do the whole time. I mean, like, you know, he's just, you know, I, I feel like he could score. But once again, the more he gets these happening, the more I feel like he'll get some of those other chances right now. He's oh. just got to, he's got to work with what's going to work for him. And that's being in front of the net, being that only really the only player we've got to be able to kind of do this sort of, this sort of damage, take the cross checks, be in there, sniff around for rebounds, bury him when you get that chance. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, Dave said this in the chat. I think, you know, what you see there is you see a willingness from someone to take the physical punishment and show a a presence of mind to not really respond in kind immediately. You know, like a lot of players, 
catch a couple of those cross checks and justify them, they're going to turn around and they're going to start, you know, giving it back. And what he did is he kind of waited. He kept finding his spots. And he just let him move himself out of, or he let uh, Ekman Larson take himself out of the play. And he was like, okay, great, free goal. And then he stood over him and, you know, said a few <laughs> choice words, which made me very happy. And then all hell <laughs> broke loose. And, you know, uh, that's the stuff I love, man. Like, that's the stuff that makes me happy. And I think you're right. You know, when, when you see Jones getting those kinds of opportunities, those are the kinds of things that is going to give him him the confidence to be a little bit more aggressive and maybe we start to see him finish some of those plays he makes every now and then but more than that the the, the coaching staff is going to feel more comfortable about putting him out there uh and you know i just think it has kind of a snowballing effect for him you know uh ed said it right like i think he has really good hands in tight you know what i mean he doesn't seem to to be uh uncomfortable holding the stick real close to him and the puck in at his feet you know, and it's just about finding those pieces, right, and putting them together in a way that can create something a little bit better than the whole or, you know, a little bit greater than the sum of the parts. And so, you know, we've got little pieces here and there. It's going to be about the rest of it kind of clicking. But, you know, that five on three, they looked a little bit, uh, you know, more lively than we've seen them in a long time. So if nothing else, it's nice to see the power play not just be, an exercise for the opposite team and penalty killing. Yeah, I think a lot of that came through, you know, it was, the, I think the question going into this game with Zegers, so we knew he was going to get power play time, or we assumed he'd get power play time, but it was where he was going to operate. And in San Diego, he'd been operating on that kind of right circle side, and, and you expected <laughs> that he would be kind of in that spot this game. And he was. And, and you know, I think that's kind of the best place for him to operate. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. As you were. It got me too. Okay. There you go. Yeah. The mic. You got to turn the mic off, even though you do your screen. The absolute we can still, dumbest we can still hear. We can still hear you. Flowing the your absolute eyes. dumbest person in the world. I'm sorry. I watched, I watched the video cut out and I was like, okay. But I just oh hear the, God. Uh, Next go. Uh, this is how. Uh, this is how you in the second period. <laughs> but but back back to Max Jones. I, I think that the key thing here Jeez. is this guy loves to play this way. And and the picture that Pat tweeted out uh, after that play when Max Jones is sitting in the penalty box with Ryan Getzlaff and they're watching the replay, just laughing. Like, and yeah, you're up two nothing at that point. You have a lot to laugh, but I'm sure they're not now after the outcome of the game. But he loves playing this way. Right, like he just loves being a pest, loves you know, engaging physically, being that guy that everybody hates to play against. You know, a Corey Perry type player, a Matthew Kachuk type player, right? And Max Jones yeah. just played with both of them. Played with Matthew Kachuk in junior in London. He's played with Corey Perry when he first came up with the Ducks. Had a little bit of time to learn some things from both of them. And, you know, this is the way you want him to play. If he's going to be on the power play, he needs to be a net front guy because I think he has the perfect skill set to do that. And you saw it in this game. And, you know, whether that happens going forward, I, I think kind of that's the the spot for him there. And, you know, this is this is the Max Jones I like to see, right? Being, you know, creating things when he has the puck on his stick and, and just being that pest and, and that guy that everybody hates to play against. But, uh to kind of sum up the rest of the first year, Zegras had another good pass to Ricard Raquel, made a nice cut to the slot uh, and a little dink over to Raquel, who just uh, kind of screamed a wrist shot wide of the net. Uh, 
Kemper made a big save on Isaac Lindstrom, and then basically the first period ended with a couple fights. Jones fighting Hayden. Hayden came over really seeking a fight at that time to get the Coyotes back into it, and it was more of a wrestling match more than anything. And then Derek Grant, which is a bit surprising, ends up fighting Lawson Krause, who's about 230, 6'4", so a big, yeah. big size disadvantage. But I thought he handled himself pretty well and I guess if you're Derek Grant right now and the way you're playing and you've been in and out of the lineup you got to do something to show the coaching staff that uh, you got some passion you want to stick around so so he ends up picking a fight with with Lawson Krause that uh, didn't go as bad as I thought it would but the Ducks get out of the the first period up to nothing with a 15-6 shot advantage I, you know you'd sit here and say probably one of their better first periods of the entire season. I would absolutely say that given that shot total um, and given the fact that they're up 2 nothing and got a power play goal, um, he told me before the game, hey, this is how it's going to be after the first. I'll be like, all right, win. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll, we'll take that. How can we lose this? And then play the second <laughs> period. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think uh... – I'm so I'm so thrown right now. Just so You're getting roasted. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just think you know, for me, the big thing was uh, that that 15 to six. Like I can't remember the last time we saw the Ducks so clearly dominate the the shots. You know what I mean? It's just it, it was phenomenal. I think they played with some good energy. They played. Uh, a little bit more attacking than we've seen them play in a while, and they capitalized on the power play, which again is something we didn't think you know they really had in them. So it was it was nice to see. Yeah, and I, I think they rattled Arizona because I mean those those two fights, yeah. you know, towards towards the end there, Max Jones had to kind of get into that little scuffle, which was like almost nothing. It was like nothing was going on, but the guy just went and cross checked them, and then all of a sudden it became a fight. And then shortly thereafter, Derek Grant is fighting. And you know they they were getting pissed. They were they were getting outplayed, and the Ducks looked good. And Arizona didn't um, in that first period. So that not only were they they getting those shots, they they were outplaying their opponent uh, handily through through almost all of that first period. Yeah, and then you move into the second here, and, and, and Ducks got. Goes. Yeah, you got to move into the second, and then everything kind of goes out the window, but not early because the Ducks do get on the board. And Cam Fowler gets a goal, I guess a much-needed goal for him. Would have almost been a power play goal, but it was just seconds after the power play expired. So we'll we'll half count that as a power play goal in, in terms of a mental thing for the Ducks because I thought they set up well and looked uh, decent in the, in the kind of the tail end of that power play. So nice to, to see him get back on the board there. But then, like you said, everything falls apart here. Lundstrom gets a elbowing penalty, which... I guess the way you know they thought it was elbowing at first, they initially assessed him a major. major. They went back and looked at it and gave him a minor for elbowing. Apparently, after they all the after you already call it elbowing, you can't change it. So I guess at the they end they to. made the right decision. They couldn't they couldn't change it to interference or roughing or whatever they wanted to make it. So in they, the they, end, they, they could they couldn't just <laughs> take it off the board. Just take it off the board. If you Run face first into the glass. You do not give Windex a two-minute penalty. The stupidest thing I have ever seen in real time. You could tell that that wasn't an elbowing penalty. Yeah. I, I just – they're so baffling. And I understand – let me just say, I understand that it, the refs are working within the rules that they have. And apparently you're not allowed to take the penalty all the way off the board. But if you can take goals off the board, why can – 
why can't you just pull the penalty? Like, it's so stupid. It, uh, anyways, I'm annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that they couldn't just take it off. Because if you, you watch that, I mean, that's that's middle of the arm. I mean, you know, it's it's not really near. The only, the only possible way is that if you actually looked at one of the replays, the refs on the, the other side of where the camera is, the cameras can barely kind of make out that it's here and he's over here. So he's probably only seen like, he's not even seeing where the elbow is. He just sees the, the motion of Lundstrom kind of going like this beat, you know, making that contact and the elbow coming up. So in his mind, it was a penalty. Um, I think that happens a lot anyways. The one thing I will say is I'm glad they reviewed it and went from a five down to a two. Um, Even with him being cut, they were worried maybe it would be a double minor because he was cut. But then they were able to really review it and realize there's a shield that hit him. And they're probably like, it really wasn't a penalty. But if we're going to review every single penalty we we call, then this might take a while. And so I think they're probably just like, all right, listen, something was called. And, you know, it's just not as bad as we thought it was. So. One of my favorite things about these games (laughs) that have a lot of penalties and some borderline penalties is the broadcast team for the Ducks immediately just turns on the Jets for (laughs) these guys are diving. Like there was some there was some diving, if you want to call that not egregious diving like Nazem Kadri type diving, but taking advantage of of poor stick position (laughs) from Ducks players. Keller was called out multiple times in the broadcast. Connor Garland was called out multiple times. Fisher was called out multiple times on the broadcast. Boy, he went down easy. And it was the one where he got like high sticked, (laughs) like right up here. Wow, he went down real easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an easy call. But they never. It's just, yeah. Wow, like I watched Johnny Hawkins put a high stick Clayton Keller, and it was like a it was a blatant high stick. Like yeah. and Keller goes under down. the visor, knock the helmet <laughs> right. off. Like, oh, he goes down easy, doesn't he, boys? Uh, you know, I, it's just funny. You know, yeah. that's they always key in on that. But I mean, in the end, in the end, that Lundestrom penalty doesn't end up hurting the Ducks. Gibson makes two major saves. First one, he kind of dives across, gets a little piece of, and then gets the help, some help from the post. And then the second one was probably the best of the night. Uh, Phil Kessel, who's uh, notoriously one of the better shooters in this league, maybe not so much nowadays, but he still has an accurate wrist shot on him. And John Gibson ends up making a nice uh, glove save and pulls off. Uh, <laughs> Get the hell out of here with your Canadian slander of our beautiful American boy. <laughs> you leave the hot dog king alone. What the yeah. hell was that? He probably he probably wishes he had that shot back. To be honest, even though it looked great uh, from a goalie perspective, uh, yeah, Gibby making that glove save that was kind of shot in the glove. I mean, he didn't have to yeah, exactly reach top corner to grab it. He is just is the top of the glove, and he's just kind of making that motion. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a big stop because you know that guy could put it anywhere. You have to hope <laughs> hope you're taking up enough of the net, and he had to get over to to take that away. So good stop. I just wouldn't say. Uh, save of the year candidate or anything. No. Look good though. Nice little windmill. <laughs> and this is where things fell apart. Yeah. Connor Garland gets a penalty for too many men. You think, oh, Ducks are back in the power play. Things are going to start turning the right direction here. But no, Christian Dvorak breaks in on a breakaway. I think it's Jakob Silverberg who caught him from behind. Yeah. Uh, honestly, a bit of a weak call. I think it's still a penalty shot. Uh, I don't think it's the strongest of shouts for a penalty shot, but it ends up getting called. And 
Christian Dvorak walks in. Gibby goes for the old fake poke check pad stack move, which I don't mm. think I've seen in about 20 years. And Christian Dvorak <laughs> just walks around him and roofs well, You haven't backhand. seen my hockey games then because uh, I pull that out <laughs> once or twice a game. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think I've seen that outside of beer league in, yeah, the, last, yeah. uh, in the last 20 <laughs> the last years. Little while, it. Interesting, uh, interesting take for John Gibson on that one. But uh, Christian Dvorak waits him out, ends up putting the backhander in the net. Minutes later, Derek Grant gets stripped on the puck from behind the net. Gar- Garland again feeds Broussard to cut the lead to one. And then Jacob Chikrin breaks in on a breakaway, mishandles the puck. Doesn't matter. He falls on his ass and it hits his skate and goes into the back of the net. And all of a sudden, we've got a tie game. <laughs> that's, that's the Max Jones goal we need to see more often. <laughs> Fall on your ass, kick it in, and just hopefully you're the home team. All right, Jay, you wanted it. Let's go. Let you go off on that penalty shot, man. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to try to gloss over it. But um, as one who practices (laughs) that pad stacked uh, from from that exact type of position, where I think Gibby maybe goes wrong here a little bit is that he's doing it against a left-handed shooter, and when you put that poke check out into the middle. It works much better if he's right-handed and he's already kind of committed on his side because at that point, all he's got is to try to lift it over your pads. Uh, But when he's left-handed, he can still try and shoot it over your body or he can do what he did here is go to the backhand and you better hope your legs are wiggling in the right spot when he shoots that. So I think this was kind of one of those things and I'll get it every now and again. I won't pull that move out every single time. But if I feel it like he's coming at the right speed at the right time, it just kind of clicks and feels good to make that move if you know you can kind of squeeze him into one spot to shoot from. And unfortunately on this one, he, he feels it, tries to make the move, but it's not against a, 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 you know, a left-handed shot. You, you, you're hoping he shoots right away. Otherwise, you, know, you just look ridiculous. And I've looked ridiculous doing it too. So uh, that's about the only thing as far as that one goes. But I felt like that was... Gibby had done so well. It had so many really great stops. And then that one kind of just killed the momentum because mm-hmm. Arizona had been doing well, kind of pushing back up into that point. They took a penalty. We should have been on a power play, possibly putting in another power play goal, be up for nothing. And then it was just kind of an, an odd choice to make that particular save selection. And they ended up getting a shorthanded goal. And then it just seemed after that, things things started going more Arizona's way and we kind of just fell off like we usually do in the the second period it seems like nowadays so and I wasn't happy with that second goal I think Derek Grant was god awful not only did he turn it over then he just stands behind everybody and stares and kind of pokes his stick in there see what's going on and then it gets behind the net thrown out to the front and Derek Grant's still just standing there like there was no effort no no, oh, I screwed up. I better get in there and write this ship real quick. You know, I'm the one who screwed up. It's just like, oh, well, what's uh, no, no, oh, it's uh, oh, okay, it's in. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, every now and then you get to see somebody for good or bad do something that perfectly exemplifies why even the worst coach knows that that's the rule, right? Earlier in the season, we see Max Comtois go to the net, put a stick on the ground, and or stick on the ice, and he gets a couple of goals early in the season that way. And that's why, you know, you say that stuff. And tonight, it's the opposite, where Derek Grant just stops skating. Like, he just forgets to stop. Like, he just completely forgets to skate. And he just stands there. And not only does he stand there, but he is below his own goal line, and three feet to his left and three feet to his right are two defenders, which means now three of the Ducks are behind the goal line with the puck. Like, it's just... There's truly 
no way to properly explain how ridiculous it is that he just sat there with the puck on his stick. He could have tried to wheel it. He could have, you know, made a little pass and skated out, try to create some separation. Like there, there is so many different things that he could have done to prevent that goal. And all he did was just stand there and wait for somebody to come, like take it from him. And it, it was really just, to me, it's it's the worst that you're going to see of Derek Grant right there. Like, that is exactly the kind of stuff that infuriates so many fans and lends so much credence to some of the issues that people have with him making the lineup as consistently. You know, I, I, it, it's just hard to say that even given that he's slower, older, um, I, does anybody think David Backus makes that mistake? You know what I mean? Like he's just a smarter hockey player. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that was really frustrating for me, I think, because especially with that, I believe was the tying goal, right? Well, that, no, that, that would have been the 3-2 goal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, because the penalty but it's shot a was back break, right? And then it was the Grant goal. And then it was and the kick goal. Yeah. yeah. Buck goal. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, you know, I just think, you know, is it three goals in under four minutes just like that? Like, it, it, you know, it just takes the energy out of you real quick. Yeah, and, and they're all tough plays, like a penalty shot and then a bad turnover by Grant that we've already talked about. A little bit of a bad play, as much as I love the kid, but a, bad, a bit of a, a bad read by Josh Mahura. He gets kind of caught doing a Cam Fowler on that play, but a pirouette to turn around and realize that Broussard, uh, his man, was behind him and he didn't... Uh, he didn't end up catching him. And then uh, Jacob Chikrin's goal, which uh, I think is a good goal at the end of the day. There's not much yeah. you can do there. It's just very unlucky that he loses the handle, falls, and ends up hitting skate, his skate and going in. And I know I just saw some quotes from post-game interviews from Dallas Aikens that both Aikens and Gibson believed it was a good goal, which is why they didn't challenge it, which makes sense. You, at that point, you challenge it. It get, doesn't get overturned. You then put yourself... Uh, down a man, you go on uh, shorthanded when and they just get up three can. goals. Yeah, yeah, not <laughs> not the uh, not the best uh, kind of time or option um, to challenge the play there. Ducks get out shot. I believe it was sixteen to, to seven? seven. I think yeah. in the second period, which is just a complete flip. The screen. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed from the first period uh, where they had the significant shot advantage. And I guess we'll just sum up the third this way. Obviously, Christian Dvorak ends up scoring 
on a power play after a Terry hooking penalty uh, off a Jacob Chikrin point shot. And that pretty much locked down the game for the Ducks there. They got a couple good chances with the net pulled. The biggest one, of course, coming from Trevor Zegris, mm-hmm. who ends up getting a nice uh, slot shot off, but it hits Darcy Kemper in the shoulder, and he fights it off and keeps it out. But ultimately, Ducks blow a 3 nothing lead, fall 4-3 to the Coyotes in Trevor Zegris's debut. And this allows us to now break down Trevor Zegris's debut in full. Mm. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. So he ends up playing 13-13 on the night, fifth lowest ice oh, time. Oh, and what, what number does he want to wear eventually? No, oh, 13. Yeah. Uh, 13. Yeah. Yeah. It was so up <laughs> They knew what they wanted to do from the beginning. He only could play 13-13 tonight, so they're managing his ice time. They managed it. But uh, he plays the fifth lowest ice time on the team. And I'm honestly not super disappointed with the full total number. Like 13-13, like I was expecting him to play around 14 or 15 minutes tonight, so I'm not too mad with the total ice time here. It's just the usage at certain times in this game where he was kind of benched for most of 5v5 play in the second period, only played three shifts total. And the explanation we're hearing from Dallas Aikens after the game here is he was saying the disjointed nature of the second period took Trevor Zegers out of the flow of the game a little bit, which I don't agree with at all. And I think most Ducks fans don't agree with at all at this point. Yes, it was a wild second period. And yes, you want to protect this guy and shelter this guy, whatever. But don't say it's his fault and it took him out of the flow of the game. Just come out and say, hey, we took him out and we benched him or not benched him or we sat him or protected him because, you know, it was a wild second period. A lot of penalties. They blew a lead. They didn't want to kind of expose him to that. At least say that. Don't say he got taken out of the flow of the game because it was a disjointed second period. Is that what he said? Or does his words, he got uh, his flow got out of the game or? What was yeah, it? I, I can't see the, the exact quotes okay. here. I know somebody mentioned earlier. Um, in the pod here that Aiken said that uh, their disjointed nature of the second period took him out of the flow of the game a bit. So I don't think he specifically said Zegris was taken out of the flow just because of how crazy the second period, they kind of just <coughs> maybe the just decided team not to play. And then, yeah, they were trying to do something. I don't know. Shore things defensively. I have no idea. I don't know what that means. Uh, so yeah. Here's the thing. I don't think any part of that quote is inherently blaming Zegris, right? What he's yeah, saying so. is it was a really ugly, choppy, choppy. choppy second period. And what the thing that he wanted to do, it sounds like, is make sure that 
You know, and we know this because he said this even before it was confirmed. He said, look, if he plays, it's going to be on the power play. He's going to be on one of those units. We're not going to not put him in a place to succeed. You know, and I think as of right now, and you can disagree with this if you want, but what they do, what they see is a young player with incredible offensive upside. And they want to get him in a game that's got a little bit of speed and flow to it. You know, I think that's why his minutes were a little higher than maybe some of us would have expected uh, after the first period, when you add in, you know, the uh, the power play, I think it makes a bit more sense. But that second period just just turns into a mud fight, and that's not really what they want him doing. You know, the game gets a little bit more physical, gets a little bit chippier. He's, you know, he's, what, 19, 170 pounds? Like, you know, he's a kid still, man. Like, I don't think that, you know, I think you can quibble with it to a degree, but I don't think the idea that... Um, you know, they are trying to make sure that they are putting him as in positions to succeed early is a bad thing. And, you know, he doesn't really have the pro level experience to maybe be able to absorb the ups and downs of a choppy hockey game like that. You know, I said this, I said this on Twitter tonight, you know, if four or five games in a row, it looks like that, then yeah, there's an issue with what Eakins is doing. But one game in, I, I just don't know that we need to be you know, parsing every little bit of it all the time. I just don't know that there is a reason to, you know, extrapolate their belief about what this kid is from one game. I just, I don't understand why you would bring the kid in to spark offense or be creative and only use him in power play opportunities or majorly just the the power play only. I mean, this kid's going to be creative. He's going to have to play against these bigger guys and he's going to have to be in some of those rough games. Now, it just, the, the utilization of just so much in the first, almost nothing in the second, and really sparsely in the third until the the game was dying and they were desperate for a goal. That's when they throw him in there. I don't. It just didn't seem. I mean, that's a good way to get him out of a flow right there. Is just you know so much in the first, almost nothing in the second, a little bit in the third, but a lot kind of right at the end. And it was just like, you know, let him be creative. What what do you have to lose at this point? He's already there. He's taking up a roster spot. Why limit him down to 13 minutes or even less than that? Just, just let it go at this point and see what you can do because this is a team that we're, you know, maybe trying to beat. And, you know, I can understand if you're playing, you know, your, your Colorado's, your St. Louis, your Vegas's, and you kind of get shut down and you might be stifled, but against this team, this is where you probably want to try and put him in a little bit more, across the board getting more time everywhere and you know get him up to that 15 16 minute mark especially if he's playing with silverberg and you're double shifting silverberg and you know you're plugging in other people on that line it's like well just plug him in because if you need a goal why not put your guy who's going to be in there who can at least create more offense because no one that they would plug in there was going to do any better than he would have done here's here's my concern about the disjointed flow comment by dallas akins by taking Trevor Zegras out of the lineup for the majority of five on five play in the second period. You are then line shuffling. We saw Nick Deloria get put on the second line. We saw, I think, Derek Grant. We saw a few guys kind of shuffle in and out of those lines. You then eliminate any consistency and normalcy to lineups and, and matching up against opposing teams' lineups and, and whatnot throughout that second period. You're almost contributing to having a disjointed period by shaking up the lines after a period where you dominated 
we're up two nothing. We're up three nothing earlier in the third, and it, it feels like a reactionary play to the Coyotes getting back in the game. Oh God, we got to protect this kid, and you know we're going to start shuffling lines. We're going to keep him on the bench and not put him in in situations we don't think he can excel in to protect him. Right? Like there's a quote that just came out from Dallas Aikens that uh, Felix Sakar tweeted out. He said, when we're late in the first period, even late in the second period, and there's D-zone face-offs, I'm not going to put that young man in that situation. I'm going to do my best to protect him and set him up for success. That had zero to do with this play. It had everything to do with his experience and everything with me trying to protect him and put him in spots that he could su- could succeed, which I agree with. And honestly, you could see that in the first period from the Ducks as well. He played a majority of power play time. I don't think if they had as many power plays if, as they did that he would have gotten the full five minutes that he played in the first. And and I agree with that. Like, I, I understand protecting a young kid with zero NHL experience in his first game and not giving him defensive zone face-offs and not putting him in situations where he can't succeed. But you can't also then say, oh, well, we didn't play him in the second because it was disjointed. And you're contributing to that disjointed play by jump, jubble, by. You know, jubbling, jubbling. I can't. I can't even <laughs> jumbling Jumbling up your so, lines. Right? Here's. Sorry, no. Go ahead. I'm not trying to cut you off. No, no. Go ahead. I just here's the thing that I I think that is being just kind of blown by for, and I don't understand why. Like again, I think some of what you're saying makes perfect sense, right? That you aren't necessarily allowing him to kind of find the flow of the game by pulling him out and sitting him a little bit. But based on what Dallas Aiken said, what it's very clear. This is the highest profile prospect that this God damn it, uh, that this uh, team has had since maybe John Gibson, but probably Bobby Ryan, if we're being honest about it. And what they want to do is make sure that they're not rushing this kid into a position where they're giving him too much to do too early. You know, we know that they felt like Richie got rushed. We know that they felt like they rushed Fowler. I don't know what the harm is, is in his first game. This is the thing that I, I just think is being ignored. It's one game. It's his first time playing at the pro level. What they're trying to do is just build his confidence up as much as possible. That's why you put him on the power play. That's why, you know, you're not necessarily giving him defensive zone starts. That's why when the team play as a whole starts to fall down, I understand the impulse to put him out there and allow him to be a playmaker and an impact player offensively. But I also think at the same time, like, no, man, I got 19 other dudes on this roster that need to get their shit together, and I'm not going to make this 19-year-old kid come in and save their ass because they decided to play sloppy hockey for the entire second period. I just I just think that's stupid. Well, then why why even bring him up if you're going to shelter him or hide him away? So it is that just keep him down there. Let him build that confidence down the AHL like he was doing. But they did for 12 games, and they brought him up, and they allowed him to do it, and he looked good tonight. I imagine going into the next game, they're going to have a slightly different feeling. They're going to probably pull it off a little bit, take some of the training wheels off. I just think, you know, I just don't think we need to overanalyze the, the... I just feel like we're psychoanalyzing what it is to just pull a kid out and just be like, hey, this isn't your fault that these guys are assholes and they're terrible right now. Like, I just don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But that's literally our podcast. It's just I mean, overanalyzing yeah. <laughs> and losing our mind over small <laughs> shit. <laughs> I, I well think played. 
like <laughs> I, I think what the, the approach was going to the game is what I expected that they're going to shelter him. They're not going to put him in defensive zone faceoffs because you want to set him up for success. I agree with that. I hundred percent get that. He's an offensive minded player. We'll, we'll set him up for success, play him on the power play, put him in offensive zone draws, maybe a couple of neutral zone draws, really no defensive zone situations, which is what they did for the first period. And I think what they did for, for most of the third, barring a couple situations. So I think they handled it properly from most of it. I think what makes this look worse is how they handled things in the second. Because if he has a second period like he does in the first or third and plays a couple more minutes, then he finishes the night on 15 or 16 minutes, probably over 10 minutes at five on five. And we're probably not having this conversation. Because I think his minutes were handled perfectly in the first. I remember putting a tweet out there saying, oh, you know, applaud Dallas Eakins for how he's handled the situation tonight. Zegers isn't playing defensive zone draws. He got a lot of power play time and played, you know, a few minutes, I think just over two minutes at five on five, which is what I would like. And in the third period, I think they put him out there in a situation which is technically five on five, but not really when the the net was pulled for John Gibson. He was out there for most of the, the final couple minutes of the game and had a good scoring chance. And that's the situations, especially early in his career and in the first couple games that you want to put him in. So so for me, it, it, it does come down to that that second period. And, and that's that's the issue for me, that that kind of separation from the game plan and, you know, saying it's because it was a disjointed period or whatever is, is just not a good enough excuse for me. Why you don't want to put the kid out there, especially he just came off playing a good first period and then came back and played a good period at following that up. You know, like you said, Steven, if that becomes a trend over the next couple of games here, I think it can be a bit more of a worry. And there are definitely people out here who are, are latching onto this and, and blowing it out of proportion for good reason. Cause there's a lot of hype surrounding Trevor Zegers, but you know, you know, there, there is some good things in the way the ducks handled his ice time tonight. And there's some bad things. And I think, what? For the coaching staff, it's just admitting that, which they won't, but admitting that the way they handled his play and his ice time in the second period was probably not the right, right way to go about it. And they're being a little bit overprotected there, I think. But is that that? Okay, so here's my thing, right? You hit it on the head for me, which is the first and third period looked like one thing. The second period looked like a different thing. But the second period also was a very different type of hockey than the first and third one was. I understand uh on the third one you know uh then the third period they're trying to come back and and again I, I i understand the quibbles that you can have with him as far as with eakins as far as the way that he do it and and i think there are justifiable criticisms to be made um you know i would have loved to see him out there more in the second period i really would have i think he could have been a boost maybe help stop some of the the bleeding a little bit, but I also think that to say that Eakins deserves to be fired because Zegers played two or three minutes in the second period is ridiculous. There are plenty of reasons at this point that I think you can bring up for why Eakins maybe needs to go, but I don't think that looking at his, at his use of Zegers in the second period is justifiable as the game as, as a whole. Like blowing a three-goal lead, that is more impactful, I think, on Dallas Aikens. And and if you want to fire him, then not playing Zegers more in the second period. I sure. I think, but- I think most people are maybe saying fire, you know, Aikens because of uh, the whole Zegers thing. As I think that they're like, 
there we we needed to do something something needed to change and we we had something that could be you know a game changer in zegris and then we don't use them the second and the seconds where everything goes to crap and then it's like all right, we're right back to where we are. I feel like that's Ducks fans. It's like, well, we we had some hype. We had we had a great first period. And we stopped playing Zegras. We also gave up three goals, and we ended up losing the game. It's the same old story. Somehow, you know, it doesn't work out. So whatever we were happy about is already washed away, and they're going to start looking for reasons because they can't really blame Zegras. So they can't really, you know, it doesn't make sense to still blame Eakins other than just that the team, once again, underperforming and whether you want to put most of that on the coach or if you want to put more of that on the players. Um, I'm more inept to put it on the players because I think they had a lot of mental lapses that led to most of those goals. Uh, but I I feel anyone who's kind of saying that is just at their wits end. They don't know they don't know what else to do. Um, and, and they're just like, listen, we had something good going. What the hell happened? Well, Zegers didn't play all that much. He was playing more in the first. We were doing well. That must be the problem. Who's not playing him? The coach is. That's the guy I'm going to blame right now. But yeah. that could be more emotional. And that could be more of just, you know, this was supposed to be, it was started off so great. Everything was going our way. And now everything just went to crap again. So I feel it's more emotional frustration from a fan base versus, you know, like literally critiquing, hey, you paid them 41 seconds less than I would have approved of. I think that's the majority of, of where people are coming from is, is yeah. it's just that association there. Fatigued. Okay, well, he didn't play. So who didn't play him? Okay, it was Dallas Aikens. Okay, yeah, it's him. And then I think beyond that, it's there's a lot of hate for, for Bob Murray, which is warranted. Maybe not in this specific situation, but he seems to be the next guy that gets it. For me, it's not even, you know, that association. It's just there is some specific decisions by Dallas Aikens in this game that made no sense to me. You know, there was times where the Ducks had an offensive zone draw and Steele and Silverberg were out there with Nick DeLore instead of Trevor Zegras. That's not protecting the kid at that point. You are saying you want to put him in those situations, but you didn't. You decided to keep him on the bench because the second period was disjointed or whatever. And I agree it was a wild second period. And maybe you didn't want to play him as much as the first or third. But limiting him to three shifts and two minutes of ice time or two and a half minutes of ice time I don't think was was the best way to go about it. And I think, you know, there were if you're going to play the fourth line, with Grant, Rowney, and Deloria more than you're going to play Trevor Zegras in that second period, that's saying something. Because if you're trying to not let a game get out of hand or get back into it and get a goal back after, you know, they make it 3-1 or 3-2, I think that's when you want an offensive player like Trevor Zegras playing at 5-on-5. Five five. And that's where more of the frustration comes from me. Not that he didn't play enough. It's that there were situations I think they could have benefited and he could have benefited from playing in that they opted to go for different options in the lineup that just are not going to work. Like, what is the benefit of having Nick DeLore on that offensive zone draw with Steele and Silverberg where you could put Trevor Zegers out there? And if you want to take him off when they, they don't have zone time anymore and the puck goes back in the duck zone, take him off. But at least start him in that position if that's sure. what you're going to preach and say – we want to get him in the best position for success. So, I, I mean, we'll see. Like, at the end of the day, he played 837 five on five, which was the fourth least uh, next to the entire fourth line. So, only Rowney, Grant, and Deloitte played less, and Rowney missed the entire third period. So, he was at the, the dead, dead bottom part of that pile there. 25% almost of that uh, five on five play came in the final minutes with John Gibson pulled. 
Uh, Zegras led the Ducks with an 85.71 Corsi 4 percentage and was the only Ducks forward not on the ice for a scoring chance again. So he had a good debut, all things considered. Probably could have had a couple assists if Ricard Raquel could put the puck in the back of the net right now. And uh, again, you know, maybe whether this comp- conversation would have gotten ramped up or, or been diffused with Zegras getting a couple points tonight, we will never know. Uh, but, you know, when you look at it as a whole and take out some of the kind of highlighting factors we're talking about here, you know, this was as close to a good pointless debut that I think Trevor Zegers could have because we saw flashes of what makes him the player we think he's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad debut. I mean, you can't score goals all the time. You can't be the guy who's setting everyone up on your first game out. Um, so it was fun to watch him, especially on that power play. Uh, like I said, he didn't look rattled at any point in that game. Um, even if he was chasing down players or he was trying to do a breakout in his own zone, uh, he didn't seem like, um, you know, he was nervous or was afraid to make a mistake. And that's, that's all you can kind of hope for, you know, as, uh, you know, kind of a baseline if that's his baseline then we're in good shape you know we just hate to to see someone go out there and, and be shaky and not confident and it doesn't look like he lacks any of that stuff so that's good moving forward he's obviously going to get that power play time which is only going to help that confidence and hopefully help that power play um so it's it's a good debut um, i'm looking for him to have more time uh, a little bit more trust from the uh coaching staff to give him that more of that time and uh and it's about the only highlight we're going to have this season is what that kid's going to do. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the points that you guys made as far as reasons to be concerned with the way that um, Aikens used the roster tonight are perfectly legitimate. I, you know, I think for me, it did feel like the number of minutes had been the focal point, but I definitely agree uh, Eddie, with what you were saying about throw him out there for an offensive zone face-off, and the moment the puck crosses half ice, call him off. Like, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, it, that's fine. But allow him the opportunity to kind of generate a little bit more of that offensive zone time, you know? Like I said, he didn't look rattled at all tonight, you know? He got the, the one hit early. He seemed to kind of diffuse that hit pretty well, to be honest. I didn't feel like Johnson got all of them. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, yeah, utilized he was utilized a little bit poorly in some senses, but I, you know, I don't know. I think I'm just naturally really conservative with young players. Um, And so for me, it's just one of those things where, you know, I think what we saw from him tonight is a lot of reasons to be excited. And what we saw from everybody else was the reasons why he's up in the roster for the first place. The rest of the team just, you know, looked a little flat, you know, I think, uh, I will say, you know, again, it's it's crazy how much talent he has. I think, uh, you know, walking away from this, just seeing the kind of potential that he has to probably be a franchise player is really exciting. So, so we we got a, I guess, a question on our hands here now with the Ducks playing the Coyotes again on Wednesday for their next game. The goals return to action on Wednesday. Is Trevor Zegers in the lineup for the Ducks? on Wednesday against the Coyotes, or is he in the lineup for the goals at that point, right? Like, uh, I, I, I think, think based off his play, and you call them up, I don't think this was a one-game stint type thing. I don't I think, think so either. And I would hope that he's in the lineup based on his play. Like, 
he was one of the best forwards on the ice tonight. I think when it comes to creating chances yeah. and, and potentially could have had two assists, probably could have had two goals himself, right? Like that's what you want from any Ducks player right now is just the ability and the want to generate offense and, put, and, to, and to put the puck in the back of the net. I would hope he's in there for the Ducks on Wednesday because I think he deserves another shot. Yeah, I can't imagine he's not. Um, and I... I just really haven't seen him ever have a bad game. Even if he doesn't put points on the boards, he still has a good game. And if he's creating those chances, whether for himself or teammates, you can't just go back to burying that in the AHL so the the goals look good. I mean, make it on this team and and keep that ball rolling. I mean, it it doesn't send the right message. Hey, you look great, um, but we really want to protect you now. Uh, so go back and you know, go back to Anaheim. Tell your family thanks for coming out for this one game. But uh, yeah, we we we'd rather have you with the goals right now. I just I, I feel like he he showed no nerves. It wasn't a bad game from him at any point. And so I, I feel like if you get, if he's going to have a good game every time, put him back in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, what what can go wrong at this point? You know. Yeah, yeah, the Ducks have a, have a long layoff too, right? They they play Coyotes today. They put the Coyotes on Wednesday. And that game that was supposed to be on Thursday against Vegas is now postponed. So the, their next game after Wednesday is Vegas on Saturday. I think he gets in on Wednesday. I think the decision and, and the interesting thing will come after that, right? And whether, you know, I don't know off the top of my head here how many games the goals play after Wednesday between Wednesday and Saturday. But it could be an instance where it sends the, the, the fan base into a frenzy here where Zegers plays for the Ducks on Wednesday, gets sent down to San Diego to maybe play a couple of the games there before their game against Vegas and he gets called back up for Saturday. You know, that's something I could see. Uh, that, that if he was going to get sent down, it could be for something like that uh, rather than him just getting sent down for the purpose of staying there for the rest of the year for a prolonged period of time. But you know, even if that was to happen, that initial send down to San Diego is going to just send Ducks Twitter and the Ducks fan base in, into a frenzy. Sure would be good if they helped explain why they do the things they do, but it's always radio <laughs> silence. It's always like, hey, we're doing this, but they're not going to really give you a reason. You can form your own conclusions. And they go, I don't know why the fan base is so upset at us. <laughs> a little communication. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I honestly, I. <laughs> If he does get sent down, I do hope it happens for Wednesday when I won't be on the show so I don't have to listen to everybody implode. <laughs> I'll just get to be miserable by myself. Yeah, just be off social media for that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we, we we did have a, a kind of another post-game show topic we wanted to get to. I'm thinking we potentially save this for Wednesday because I think it warrants more than like the 10 minutes that we'd be, be able to kind of get into it right now. And, and it's on Bob Murray and, and potentially a management change being needed. And, and some references to a great article that Eric Stevens put out where um, Stephen, you mentioned to, to us earlier today that I don't think I've ever seen him be this critical of uh, mm-hmm. the Ducks management and, and the Ducks organization as a whole. Uh, you know, basically saying they they need to reevaluate this franchise uh, and who needs to be in charge from Henry Samueli down. Like that is a big statement to make, where you're saying you're calling out ownership, you're calling out uh, the hockey upside, you're calling out the coaching staff, and there's some great quotes from that article that that uh, that I want to get into. But I think it warrants uh, 
a bit more of a, a kind of heavy discussion into that. So we'll save that for Wednesday, and hopefully we'll be talking about another game uh, for Trevor Zegers along the way. But uh, other than that, any kind of last topics or any last uh, kind of mentions from you guys before we close the show here? We don't have any fan questions? No, we didn't get any <laughs> fan questions. Thanks for not well, participating, we, everybody. We, we <laughs> had some left over from Sunday's show, but... Uh, uh-huh. They were more of the the big picture variety. Yeah, um, I'll ask a real quick question. It'll be on uh, for you know we'll get into more depth of it. Uh, but what are your guys' opinion? Do you do you think Bob Murray finishes out the season? Because um, I would have said yes, a hundred percent, no matter what happens this season. But I I'm just I'm really confused on if they're they're really going to continue to take this heat. Um, you know, management or uh, ownership, if uh, or if they're just going to go listen, the game plan is just through the rest of the season, we'll move on to the next one. He's definitely gone, but do you feel it's before the season ends? I I think he's still here. Uh, this is what the last year of his contract, right? Mm-hmm. He's done after the expansion draft, presumably. So I, I can't imagine. Um, you know, he would get fired mid-season. But at some point here, if the Ducks continue to lose games, right, like it's going to be a, a moment in time where you have to do something. And I don't think they want to fire Dallas Aikens yet. And I don't think even Bob Murray's last action before he goes is to fire another coach. And yeah. and I don't think the ownership wants him to fire a coach to bring in another coach. Because if, if they're going to bring in another coach, I think they want – a new general manager to make that decision on who that coaching staff is. Bring because, in their guy. Yeah, Bob Murray can fire Dallas Aikens, and then the new GM comes in and says, I don't like the the, the new new guy that you brought in, and I have to get rid of him again, and that's a huge mess anyway. So if anybody is to get fired, I think it's now more likely that it's Bob Murray, but I still don't think that's a decision that they make this year. I think they just let him ride it out. And, and, you know, they know how the season's probably going to go this year and whatever moves he makes to, to kind of right the ship is, is going to kind of set up the next GM, uh, whoever that is, whether it's Martin Madden or, or whoever, for this kind of next wave uh, of the Ducks franchise. Or Eddie Jones. I mean, his name's in there. <laughs> My name's always in the ring. <laughs> it's always there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Mike Fuda and Eddie Jones, the two names we always hear. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with a lot of what Ed said. If if they're strongly considering uh, a management change, I I think they need to do it as soon as possible. I don't I don't think it does anybody any good to not try to get someone in as soon as possible. I I can understand uh, that teams might be a little reticent to allow guys to talk and maybe you can't bring in someone that you want. So if that's the situation and they really do want to conduct a a proper full scale search for the next GM, then I I don't necessarily mind them waiting until the season is over. But I think it is pretty crucial that they get uh, a new, uh, a new face in before um, the expansion draft. Um, because that's especially with it sounding like the uh, normal draft is the entry draft is going to get pushed to next uh, next season. I think it becomes even more critical to give uh, a new GM that opportunity to make some stuff happen. 
Yeah, I feel like there's gonna like there'll be a critical point where they're gonna go because you either either have to do it earlier in the season, like mid season, so that they have time to evaluate what they have. A new GM comes in, can evaluate mm-hmm. what they've got before they get to that expansion draft. And once you get past kind of that tipping point, whether it's around the trade deadline or not, if you haven't made that move, then you just keep this guy in here to try and set up that next GM with here it is. Here's everything we've got. We we worked all the way to this point. I'm handing over my baby to you, you know, whether you're fired or resign or don't renew a contract. I also think it matters too, if they try and promote from within. So if they do mm-hmm. a general manager, that's familiar with what's going on, then they don't necessarily need to move Bob Murray out right away because they're probably going to be working in collaboration moving forward. Since Bob Murray knows his, his time here is, pretty done he's, he's probably going to try and set up who he's been working with the assistant gm or what have you so yeah and and even like an in-season uh kind of gm change really doesn't change anything a lot of people brought that up in our chat like it doesn't do much in terms of the outlook for this team uh for the rest of the season like it's just changing a figurehead behind the scenes and and setting you up in the future for a different direction but as of making changes this year and changing the outlook of, of the team for this season, it doesn't do anything, right? Like, <laughs> makes a lot of fans happy. <laughs> but but that, that here's the thing I would say about that is I don't think that can be the aim, right? You shouldn't be looking at this season as why you're changing GMs. What you should be looking at, let me say this, you shouldn't be thinking changing GMs saves this season. What you should be looking at is the way that this season has unfolded to this point, the way the last two seasons have unfolded, and going – this guy needs to be moved on from, you know, I, I've said it a bunch. I really do think that Bob Murray will be remembered fondly as we get a little bit farther away from this for the level of sustained success that the team had under his leadership uh, after Brian Burke left. But uh, I think the thing that matters is the sooner you bring somebody in, the sooner you allow them to start to get a feel, right? What you don't want to do is give them a short runway and then demand that they fix it. Uh, you know, they get the plane off the ground before the next year starts. I think the sooner you can bring somebody in is always better. And whether that's promoting Martin, uh, Martin, Martin Madden or, uh, you know, bringing in somebody out, you know, like Eric Polsky or someone like that, then uh, I just think the sooner you can get that done, the better. But if it's either, promote from within exclusively or wait till the season is over to do a full search, then I'm fine waiting till the season's over. Yeah. that That's, that's where I, I kind of tend to think the direction they go is, is I, one, I don't think the ownership has kind of the backbone to fire Bob Murray in the middle of the season after all he's done for this organization. Um, and, and honestly, like I'm not as worried about him going into this expansion draft and, and messing it up. I, I don't think, I think it's fairly a bit more straightforward for the Ducks on who they protected, who they don't this year, and especially if they're able to move Adam Henrique, that kind of frees up a protection slot for them there. I think when they go into it, they are likely going to have to take the eight skaters direction because they have four defensemen that they're going to likely want to protect. They don't. Um, and, well, that the they organization thinks they want to protect and. Uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how they approach that and obviously you know a bit closer I think after the trade deadline we're planning a show to kind of go into that expansion draft a bit more on what they're going to do but I I'm all on board for just let his contract expire have a an actual legitimate search for the general manager you want to take this team 
to the kind of the new era for the Ducks and, and make that decision in the offseason when you have some more guys available. You're not going to be able to – teams aren't going to allow you to interview their AGMs or whoever in the middle of a season. You know, if you want an Eric Tulski or somebody else, you're going to uh, – you're going to have to do that in the offseason. So I think that's where we see it. We'll wrap it up with this question from Dave because I know he's been begging for uh, for us to answer it. I didn't want to ask it because then I ruined <laughs> the question here. But you saw it in the chat, Stephen, so now you need to answer his question here. The word is zebras. To... Yeah, okay. Zebras. Zebras. But I, I will say every time that I have heard someone with an African accent say it, they do say zebras, and it sounds a lot better. I have heard zebras. Zebras. I don't know what the question is. Checked. I feel like Jamon Hamsu would say. He zebras. wanted him to pronounce zebras on air because Stephen uh, is known for pronouncing Trevor Zegras as Trevor Zegras. Oh, uh, well, which is it, Zegras or Zegras? I I believe it's Zegras. I'm always I wonder. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's like Dreesdale and Drysdale. It's Dries. It's Drysdale. Well, you guys, say you guys uh, interviewed him, right? Zegris, Zegris, Aikens, Aikens. It's I'm just gonna say it every way, all the time, <laughs> to bother everyone. It's yeah, we, when we interviewed him, Jay. Yeah, yeah. We well, yeah what did he say? Trevor Zegris. So we didn't ask him that specific uh, question. See? But see, we you're not, you're not the asking the hard hitting questions, man. Well, when we introduced him, we said it's Trevor Zegris, and he didn't he didn't correct us. So I'm I'm going to stick with that. He's yeah, nice, surprised a bunch of eighteen year old kids did uh, uh, an eighteen year old kid did yell at you today. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's, that's a great question from uh, David. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. I think it's uh, Dave. Dave. Like Davi Dad, like Dava. All right. We'll wrap the show there. We'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, it might be close to the same crew here. I don't I don't think Pat's gonna be in on Wednesday, so it might be might be me and you, Jay. Depends yeah. on, on how that goes. But we'll let you guys know on, on who's gonna be on the show for that one. Obviously, as always, it'll be one of the four of us. So you can mm-hmm. expect uh or two of the four of us to be on the show. Hopefully we're talking about, uh, hopefully we're not talking about why Trevor Zegers wasn't used more. We're talking about something a bit more positive, like a first NHL goal or, or at least him. Yeah. <laughs> new GM or, or something like that. So we'll be back after that game. Thanks everybody for showing out. I think this is one of our kind of highest, uh, listenership live shows of the season, which understandably we kind of expected with Trevor Zegers' uh, debut and everybody who came out for the chat today. Uh, it was great to see some new people in here and obviously a lot of the regulars. So we appreciate you guys coming out and uh, we'll catch you guys on Wednesday night after the Coyotes game. Take care guys. Bye everybody. Aaron's makes getting the furniture, electronics and appliances you need easy and affordable. Great deals, easy approvals, free delivery. That's Aaron's the rent to own power of the double a team.